everyone and welcome to another edition of Be Heard Talk, an award-winning show that adds a taste of hip-hop, a shot of Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic perspective and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we will incorporate them throughout this show. And I know you guys are heated because the comments started last night. So we got a lot to talk about. My name is Selena Hill. I'm the digital editor at Black Enterprise and the founder of Be Heard Talk. And I'm super excited to be here with you all after a brief hiatus because there is a lot to discuss. Everything from the biggest stories of the week, like the release of Bobby Schmurder from prison to the rise of the anti-Asian attacks around the country, especially here in New York City. Now, for that segment, we'll be joined by New York State Assemblyman Ron Kim in the later half of our show. So stay tuned for that. I know you guys are really um, excited to talk about that in particular. Now, on today's show, I'm actually joined by Be Heard Talk correspondent Evan Mastronardi, who is also the co-founder of Let's Not Be Trash. How's it going, Evan? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for shouting out Let's Not Be Trash, everybody. We are on Instagram. We are on Clubhouse. We are the podcast website platform for multidimensional men, co-founded with my boy and uh, former Be Heard co-host Stan Fritz. And I'm happy to be here as always with you, Selena. Always. And I'm happy your Wi-Fi is working. Finally. Um, <laughs> we also have with us Michelle Hope, who is a sexologist, educator, and activist. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? It's going. It's going. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? We are. I'm doing well, Evan. I, I'm doing well now that my Wi-Fi well in the Bronx. So, I mean, you was out there doing it a little shoddy style, sir. I was. Yeah, I was remixing my own internet connection, but that's okay. Speaking of remix, let's actually <laughs> kick things off with the news around up I, I, again. That wasn't intentional. No, it's all good. <laughs> so this is the time where we unpack some of our favorite stories of the week, the ones that made us laugh, cry, get deleted on Facebook or Twitter, mm -hmm. whatever. It's the biggest stories with the most impact. So I want to start off with remixing Bobby Smurder because this 26-year-old Brooklyn rap star was released from the New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision last week, concluding a six-year stint after being charged with conspiracy to murder, possession of weapons, and reckless endangerment. He will remain under community supervision in Kings County up until February 23rd, 2026. Now, mm. those pictures of Bobby Schmurder showed him giving, getting off a private jet with his family and his friends, his first day out of prison, he was um, welcomed with wads of cash that he took pictures with. He had a photo shoot. He had a videographer. He had an exclusive interview with GQ. I, I, I don't get that type of love on a regular Tuesday. I mean, Bobby comes out of jail and, and it's just celebrate. I mean, obviously there's a lot to celebrate. Evan, I'll throw it to you first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what did you think about Bobby coming home? I mean, I remember when my man hit the streets <laughs> with that single, everybody dancing, throwing their Knicks cap up in the air. I mean, it was wild. But we've been waiting for this guy to come out for a long time. People were saying that, that it's like the final boss of 2020 was going to be Bobby coming out of, out of jail. Came a little late. But look, he definitely went with some serious, um, I'm going to say, allegations towards him, including firing into a crowd, which is, if that's true, not good. But my man reformed himself. Look, he said he read letters from his fans, including a six-year-old girl that made him realize, you know what, he's out here, whether he likes it or not, sometimes being a role model for people. And he said he's going to reform himself. I know he's now getting into real estate. I think he really takes this seriously, um, re rehabilitating himself. Even if our prison system doesn't do a good job rehabilitating, it looks like he put effort to rehabilitate himself. So good for him. Another thing he does really well is um, sticking to um, the COVID-19 guidelines. Um, there was a report saying that he's been really stringent about that. Michelle, I want to get your thoughts because, you know, this is a 26-year-old who just spent um, six years 
in prison. He was actually in prison when, at the start of his career back in 2014. What, what do you have to say about this? Well, I think, you know, when people go into a space like that, oftentimes what happens is they're cut off from friends, they're cut off from family, they're cut off from the outside world. So I'm really excited to see that he's able to re-enter into his community with so much love. You know, I think all people deserve that type of re-entry welcome. Now, I don't want to spill no tea and talk about the ladies they had for Bobby, but, you know, we can go on that. That's a that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> never, never, <laughs> nevertheless, um, I am really happy to see that he was able to get to, uh, the, the support and the love and the welcoming back home because a lot of people don't see that. They see a trash bag and a gray sweatsuit mm -hmm. and, a, and a bus ticket. So I just, I'm very, right. very thrilled about that. And I hope that he can stay on this path mm -hmm. of positivity. And I think we're in a different time. Like, let's face it. We didn't upgrade. I think in a lot of ways we've upgraded the game. We've upgraded what we want to see and what black excellence is. After 2020, we we all, I think, have elevated in different ways. He went to jail before Meek Mills and Jay-Z started their campaign, you know, before we saw all these uprisings around racial justice issues. So I am really excited to see what he's able to do with his real estate license. And maybe he can continue to build a better tomorrow for black people, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm still going to get my dance oh. on, though. Oh, of course. We are going to be doing a Bobby Schmurter dance For all throughout him. 2021. Much luck to Bobby Schmurter and his you know, very promising career. Looking forward to seeing what he has to offer. And he also said that I want to be a role model. So, Bobby, here's your chance. Make amends. And do it for the kids. Um, okay, so let's just switch gears a little bit. Another thing we definitely have to talk about is Governor Cuomo. Oh, now, man. Governor Cuomo has been accused again <sighs> of sexual harassment. So we know New York Governor Cuomo emerged as a national hero during yep. the COVID-19 pandemic last year. But yep. now he is in the midst of a national controversy after a political fallout over mishandling nursing homes within the state during the pandemic. Following that firestorm, multiple women are accusing Cuomo of sexual harassment. Now, the New York Times released a report yesterday revealing that a second former aide is accusing him of sexual harassment. The woman, who was 25 years old, said that mm -hmm. when they were left alone in his office, Cuomo asked her questions about her sex life, whether she was in, whether she was monogamous in her relationships. And he asked her, have you ever been with an older man? Now, her account follows another detailed accusation published, uh, again, in multiple reports from Lindsay uh, Boylan, a former state economic development official who said Cuomo harassed her on several occasions from 2016 to 2018, and at one point giving her an unsolicited kiss on Ooh. her lips. Yeah. Ill is right. Now, a number of celebrities like Ashley Judd and Eva Langoria have turned turned on the governor um, as their Time's Up Foundation is calling for a harassment probe. Mind you, as Ashley Judd in 2019 hailed Cuomo for signing an anti-harassment law while Il Eva Langoria was praising him all throughout 2020 for the way he handled COVID. Michelle, I want to throw this to you. Um, our New Yorkers rushing to judgment, and I ask that because Cuomo put out a statement saying he never made advances towards the second aid, and he's asking New Yorkers to please uh, wait for the findings. He, he's calling for an independent review, and he's saying, please wait for the findings before making any judgments. Okay, so I want to be very, very clear, and let's talk about what the definition of sexual harassment is. According to Rain. Uh, sexual harassment includes unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical harassment of a sexual nature in the workplace, learning environment, okay? And that is according to the Equal Opportunity, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So him asking, I'm just going to put it out there, him asking about someone's sex life, no one at your job mm -hmm. would ask you about your sex life. So That's would right. that fall under the guides? Um, what does sexual harassment look like? I mean, uh, it's somebody asking you any kind of question like about your sex life. Um, so I don't know what the nature of that conversation was. I was not in the room. I do think we need an independent investigation. 
And I do think that we as the community, we should keep our eyes on it, but we should not jump to conclusions. Agreed. So we are getting a lot of comments coming in from Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Keep the comments coming. And thank you for that breakdown of sexual harassment. So I did want to read this comment from Weston Lawson from Facebook. Says, calling Cuomo a hero means for sure that this is fake news. They are preparing to get rid of him according to their schedule so he can go to Ascension, a place where fake news Edomite liars cannot go I, I guess we have some supporters in the comment evan i want to throw it to you is this fake news or should women deserve to be believed go ahead i believe both those women i think that cuomo has already shown a pattern of harassment and abuse and the benefit of belief absolutely goes with them you can't have the the most openly kept quote-unquote secret in new york is that cuomo in some way in his office in some way is an abuser through harassment, through calling nasty voicemails. It's been on anyone who's had any sort of proximity political scene has, has seen that. So if that's your background and you do nothing to check it, and then on top of that, you get two allegations. You think these women are doing these allegations for fun? This isn't fun. They're going to get death threats probably. Right. So no, I think that Cuomo probably believes in his heart. This goes to what Michelle said that he didn't harass anyone because he didn't. It's kind of like when Clinton didn't believe he had sex because he doesn't consider oral sex sex. Men can easily tell themselves lives if they don't understand the capacity of what they're being charged with. He doesn't understand or refuses to accept what he did was harassment, probably because him and a thousand other men in New York state politics do this all the time. So if they had to actually call this harassment, a lot of people are guilty. Yes. I, I Go ahead, Selena. Um, we are getting some comments. So Michael R. Uh, Hassler in the comments via LinkedIn says, I believe. So shout out to Michael. But there was another comment from a woman named Alina. Um, that I wanted to go to who uh, disagreed. Do we have that comment? Okay, we're pulling it up now. Well, while we wait for that comment, I just want to hop yes. in and I want to kind of think about the power structure and patriarchy in places like polit politics, right? Oftentimes, um, it is men, men that are white men and very high positions that have been able for a long time to get away with kind of sleazy behavior. Somebody at your job asking you what your sex life is like, or if you've been with older women, it's borderline, it's sleazy, right? Does it go as far as to be able to be a claim of harassment? Who knows what the court will decide when you're a, a high powered politician, all right? So we have to understand that some of this is deeply rooted in patriarchy and for us to dismantle, we must uproot. So that is why I'm saying, we need more investigation. We need to see an independent investigation and we need more women if they have experienced this to, to come forward. So Alina via LinkedIn says, we don't know if this is true. Women do lie. Michelle, did you want, did you have a direct response to that? I, you know what? And if that is the case, they, they then should be, if it's found out that they are lying, then they should accept responsibility for that. But here's what we have to understand. There are certain things that as a boss, you should not ask somebody. And I will go ahead and stick to my guns and say, asking someone about their sex life or asking them if they have dated older men is inappropriate when you consider the power dynamic of that relationship. Mm -hmm. yes. You are the governor. This is an aid. There is a direct power dynamic there mm -hmm. in which this person feels obligated to answer those questions because of the power dynamic. And that in itself is wrong. So it, women lie, sure, but the power dynamic here is so far off that like Evan said, this is not gonna be easy for her and they are putting themselves at risk saying this. Evan, uh, I, I do, before we move on, Evan, I do wanna get your last words on this topic. And also, how do you think these allegations are gonna affect Governor Cuomo's reputation and his legacy? Again, he was hailed as a national hero just a few short months ago. Oh, that was premature anyway. But the percentage of false rape allegations are somewhere between four and eight percent, depending where you look. And that is of the one of the most underreported types of crime, sexual harassment. Yep. Do women lie? Sure. But we can find exceptions in anything. 
Um, why would I at all put the benefit to him than two people who are saying that they're risking their career, saying he said these things? On top of that, we have someone later who's going to talk about an abusive call that was made to him. This is a pattern of behavior. All the evidence says that this is in line with Governor Cuomo's behavior. And uh, regarding him being a national hero, in comparison on COVID, sure. In comparison to the most inept racist president we ever had, yeah, but that's a low bar. I'm glad he was better than that. But He's not a national hero if he's an abuser and he doesn't even want to reform himself or his office. Well, point well taken there and well said. I do want to switch gears to talk about the fact that the House passed Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package on Saturday. Now, under this plan, individuals earning less than $75,000 would receive $1,400 $1,400 and married couples earning less than 150000 would receive $2,800. So more money coming in the mail. Um, the House would also increase hourly minimum wage to $15 up from the current level of $7.25. About $50 billion will fund coronavirus testing and contact tracing. Another $19 billion will go to increase the size of the public health workforce. And another $16 billion would fund vaccine distribution and supply change. Michelle, is this bill, this stimulus package, which the House passed, is it something that you're standing behind? Does it go far enough? Um, I, you know what? I am going to stand behind it. Although I think when you do the math on like $15 an hour as minimum wage, while that is a great increase, we still have to do better because the cost of living is so high. I'll say that too. You know, I was uh, looking at Twitter. I saw a lot of people, a lot of Republicans giving backlash, talking about the international aid that is rolled into this package. And I just want to remind people that if we do not help fight COVID here and abroad, COVID will never go away. So I think it's really important Mm -hmm. for us to uptick our international aid, especially after our last president who really stripped a lot of that away. Um, And I I, I think I'm standing behind it. I'm standing behind it. I think it's a great start uh, to Biden's presidential, uh, his his presidential career. You support the stimulus package that was passed and do you think it will pass in the Senate? I think that it's a step in the right direction. I think, yeah, if you add the 600 plus the 1400, sure you get 2000. That's a start, but he he did say he's going to look for more. I mean, people there's incentives for people who have children. This increases with um the decrease of income, so under $75,000 annual, 150,000 for a couple gets that full amount. I think that's good. Um I I I also want to point out that the $15 minimum wage, yes, the user just commented, is being taken out. And that's because the Senate parliamentarian, a position I just learned of, like, I don't know, 72 hours ago, decided that you can't include something that has that much substantial uh, impact to the budget, I believe is the rule, in in us in the same bill so the 15 dollars minimum wage should be passed but it will not be included and i hope that that happens in a separate uh bill but i completely agree with michelle this is an international problem it will continue to affect everyone until it is completely uh attacked internationally and it is a step in the right direction um michelle i know you wanted to uh give some comments and, and shout out to everyone who is also leaving comments as we speak go ahead michelle Yeah, internationally, we've seen much better stimulus packages for individuals who are just trying to stay afloat. Now, I love getting money and I think these stimulus packages are great. I would like to see the minimum wage raised. Um, I think that's really, really important. But most importantly, we need to find a way to relieve student debt. They have said that that would be the best way to Mm re-jumpstart the economy. And as somebody who went to grad school and has over $100,000 in student debt, $10,000 is a drop in the bucket, people. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it's keeping people from being able to buy homes. It's keeping people from being able to have any kind of decent credit. So while this one point nine trillion is a good start, it is not enough for what we need to rebuild America economically after the last four years and, and the president we just had. 
Well, I agree there. I'm also getting a lot of people who agree. I know Sharon uh, Scotton via Facebook left a comment. She says, it ain't done yet. There will be an uphill battle in the U.S. Senate, especially with two Democratic senators pledged to vote no. So that is true. It is definitely going to be an uphill battle. But if we got through Trump, we can get through this. That's my model on that. So I do want to just wrap things up with the news roundup to get into the main topic, the main event. I know everyone is dying to talk about the rise of anti-Asian attacks and how we can stop the violence. We have a very special guest who we're going to put on in just a few more minutes. Let me just start by saying this. Hate crimes involving Asian American victims soared in New York City in 2020. We had a, and the stabbing of a 36-year-old man last week is one of the latest in a number of attacks here in New York City against people of Asian descent. In addition to that, earlier this month, there's video footage that shows a man shoving a 52-year-old a Asian woman into a metal newspaper box in Queens, New York. There were 29 reported racially motivated crimes against people of Asian descent in 2020 in New York City, and 24 of those were attributed to coronavirus motivation, according to NYPD data. Now, the number of hate crimes with Asian American victims, um, it, it jumped. In the previous year, it was only about three. So we went to three to 29. Um, and as a result, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution condemning anti-Asian uh, violence back in September, if you recall. Um, but I still feel like a lot of you know those in the Asian community are grappling with anxiety, fear, and anger brought on by these attacks. Um, and again, it's not just here in New York, it's happening mm -hmm. across the nation. Mm -hmm. So we have, actually have a very special guest joining us. We have New York State Assembly member, Ron Kim of Queens, New York, joining us for this conversation. How's it going, Assemblyman? Thank you. Thank you, Selena. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing well. How are you? How are you, Michelle? How are you, Evan? Great. Good. Thank so you. So, Assemblyman, we want to start this conversation by just asking, what is at the root of this anti-Asian sentiment? Well, I think it's everyone is talking about the rhetoric that came out of Trump's mouth for the last two years, um, especially during the pandemic, uh, vilifying and demonizing the ch uh, Chinese and Chinese Americans that led to people uh, pinpointing all the anger um, at Asian Americans. Uh, but I think the harder discussion that we have to really confront is what did our social conditions look like even before Trump opened his mouth, before the pandemic, most people don't understand. New York, this country, we were already, 80% of us were already living paycheck to paycheck. New York State, um, the wealthiest state, a $1.8 trillion economy, the richest state in the nation, the 10th wealthiest in the entire world compared to other countries, richer than Finland, richer than Canada. We have the worst social upward mobility. We rank last in the world. So we, these are the conditions that people are already suffering in. So, it, it, so whether it was Trump, whether it was somebody else, they could anyone could have come in and just pulled that trigger and said, you know what? It's the Mexicans. It's the Asians. It's this and that. And then all of a sudden, all of people's anxiety, anger, frustration, now we're being pitted against each other. We've seen this play out a number of times in our recent history. So we need to recognize our history. We need to recognize that we can't, we shouldn't be pitted against each other. Uh, this is a time to, to really practice radical solidarity and love and understand the bigger picture so we can get out, we can get out of this as one community. Assemblyman, so we are getting a lot of comments. Steven Krusen uh, via Facebook says, who is doing the majority of the attacks in California and New York? It's not just white people. Um, Assemblyman, do we have data on who is doing these, doing these attacks? Listen, I, I I haven't looked at the exact uh, the racial dynamic, but when you when you see TV, when you see people getting attacked, it's easy to you know uh, to vilify young black and brown men um, in that moment. And the knee jerk reaction, this is where it gets dangerous. Knee jerk reaction 
is to say, let's get more policing, right? Let's get more people to come into our community. That's happening right now. So this is so right now. This is a this is a very important conversation, and that's why I join. That's why that's why I want to join and have this talk you. with you, because that is not the answer. Uh, we've seen it before after nine mm eleven. -hmm. We said, oh, let's bring up all the police, and then what? It, what in the war on terror? We didn't catch any terrorists, but you what what you know what we did? We harassed the Muslim community for 10 years. We increased NYPD budget by 50%. Our population didn't increase by 50%, mm -hmm. but their budget increased. We got surveillance in every single block now. Wherever we go, they're watching us. That's that what that's what mm -hmm. happened after 9-11. So we have to be yeah. very, very careful. Yes, when we call 911, yes, we want the police to come and help us. But are they going to address the violence and hatred? No, they're not going to resolve the violence and hatred. That takes community. That takes right. us investing into our people. That takes us right. practicing radical love and saying mm -hmm. to the young man, you know, going back to the young man who, 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 who might have attacked an older adult and connecting the dots. What is the social condition that led to that mm -hmm. person in that moment? And that is a very difficult conversation right. for lawmakers, yes. people like me, right. because right. we dropped the ball on that young man. You know, we didn't invest in housing. We didn't invest in mm -hmm. schooling. We didn't invest in, in free health care for their family. That's right. how that young man became violent in that moment. But yes. but, it, but when we reduce it to individual violence for him and, and for Trump, then, then politicians absolve ourselves of any responsibility. And Send that the needs police, to stop. Yeah. and that's it. So I definitely want to get Evan and Michelle's voice into the conversation. I want to get your reaction, Evan, and also, you know, not only reaction to what the assemblyman is saying, but this rise in anti-Asian hate. Yeah, I first of all, thank you so much, uh, Assemblyman Kim. Uh, you are truly a hero of of this state for everything you've done uh, on this, and also the issue we'll get to later about um, standing up to power. So really, thank you for being here. Uh, the other thing to add of where we failed is addressing the roots of white supremacy, because the things that Assemblyman Kim, those powers that be that pit different ethnic groups against each other, that's white supremacy. That's the foundation of this. And we have done a horrible job in this country addressing those roots. So whether or not the attacker of, of, of an Asian person is white or a person of color, First of all, the recipient of that act, it still harm. It still hurts. It's not any more or less harm or hurt if it's a person of color or it's a white person. They're still harmed because of who they are, because of their being and their humanity. And the other thing that in internalized through all that is white supremacy, wanting groups to, the, the, the biggest enemy to white supremacy are coalitions. Yep. are groups working together to fight it. So white supremacy loves seeing different groups harming each other because it makes that discord greater and it makes white supremacy's power greater. So I want to yep. want to get Thank to you. that. Yeah, and, and Michelle, well, you know, your thoughts as well. Well, I think there's a couple things here. One, we have to remember that there aren't different races, right? Speaking to what Evan says is that, oh, there's the white supremacy has has divided us in a way to believe there's one race, it's the human race. So when one person is hurt, we are all hurt. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I think there is, a, we have done a disservice in the space of education. The space of education that doesn't teach proper black history also doesn't teach proper Asian history. And sometimes right. what happens and what we see is we lump all Asians together and, mm -hmm. and they are a diaspora just like black people mm -hmm. are a diaspora. And I think that if we started mm -hmm. to celebrate are all of these beautiful cultures in our schools, in our mm -hmm. communities, we can build coalition because we'll find the things that we have in common, we'll understand our past struggles. And if we can understand our past struggles, we can unite to bridge towards a better tomorrow and a stronger community together. So I think really we have to identify that these attacks and it's also a lack of education around how COVID got here how, mm -hmm. and, and, and not blaming. It's like, we're dirty. We're in New York. You know, you, people want to blame, oh, this certain group brought it here. It's like, we're spreading it to each other because we right. eat on the train. We, we cough. You go to a bar, somebody's all in your face. It's not one person's fault. It's like, wash your hands, people. I'm just saying. I, I had to say that. No, you're absolutely right. And thank you for saying all of that, Michelle. And, you know, uh, Assemblyman Kim, before we, you know, get to 
again, the back and forth you've been having with Cuomo. I do just want to stay here a little bit longer because we are getting a lot of, you know, comments. And I think Michelle and Evan brought up great points about unifying and, you know, solidifying and having some unity around this issue. However, there have been, um, because of white supremacy, divides between the black community and the Asian community. And I think that this, at this time, it's really being amplified and seen because, you know, me as a black woman, as a Queens native, you know, I see what's happening and I empathize and I stand with my brothers and sisters in, in neighborhoods like Flushing, right? But I, I don't feel like there's always that sense of community. Queens is one of the most diverse counties in the nation. You know, I can walk down one block and I hear different languages depending on which block I'm on. Why is it that we're still seeing so much division um, instead of unity? Hey, though, early on, back in January, February, when we first started seeing some of the anti-Asian sentiments, it was the New York City black leaders, black and brown leaders that came to our community and stood with us uh, to take a stance with our community. I can't say that the Asian American leaders uh, over the last many years were always there uh, when, when black and brown uh, communities were hurting. And that's something that I am constantly pushing our communities, my community, Asian community, to be better in. Um, there is anti-blackness that have permeated among recent immigrants, among the Asian immigrants. Um, and there's some uncomfortable, there's always uncomfortable conversations that I have with my own community that we do not live in a post-racial society. We do not have color blindness. We do have anti-blackness that is still real. And we do have black and brown brothers and sisters who are still fighting for liberation and, and freedom budgets that, that MLK died on that hill for that we still have not achieved. And we have to be there uh, for them because without the civil rights movement, us as immigrants, Asians, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be part of this country. Um, and that, so, so I'm doing my part as much as possible to, to educate uh, my community so we can build that solidarity. So it's not just the black and browns coming to us when we need help, but we should step up when, they, when a, when a community's uh, funding is getting cut, when their social service is getting cut, when they, when people don't have housing anymore. Um, those are the things, basic human needs need to be met. Otherwise we will see more violence uh, come out of our communities. So Kimberly Victoria actually left a really good comment that I wanna get to. She says via Facebook, I stand with my Asian brothers and sisters because we should understand that we too are going through the same thing. Uh, Evan, I want to get your thoughts about, you know, standing together as, you know, a white ally, a black ally, but making sure that we all stand together as allies at this time, Evan. I think you're on mute, Evan. Yeah. Let me, um, let me go ahead. I got it. Um, I think that's really important. I think it's, it is important to acknowledge how different struggles throughout this nation's history have affected different communities. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that we must conflate different struggles in order to have that unity. Every uh, group that has been, you know, immigrants between different communities, between the enslaved peoples of this country, between uh, European immigrants who came here, we don't have to all have the same struggle and we must acknowledge the differences, but we must understand again, the root of that wants us to be a part is the same. And that is white supremacy. White supremacy wants there to be division between Asian and black and brown communities because it makes that coalition to fight it all the more harder. It does its work for it. It does its work on the ground for white supremacy. So even if the struggles don't have all the same history, it has the same enemy. And I think it's really important to recognize that. Michelle, you know, there's a long history of racial tension between, you know, the black and Asian communities. You know, you sold me offline, you lived in LA, so you've seen it all the way in LA, you see it here in New York City. How can we create stronger allyships between these two historically marginalized communities? Yeah, I, thank you for that question. I think one of the things is really recognizing um, that that we are going through the same thing. We're not living in a post-racial society and we need to create more opportunities to bridge us and bring us into 
communities, right? For example, um, uh, I know that small business advancement is really important to you, Ron, and thinking about how might we create community opportunities that give young people in the communities internships to these small businesses, allowing them the opportunity to learn, get leadership skills, as well as develop relationships with people that look different than them. That would be one recommendation I would I would say, like how do we create community programs by defunding the police or moving money around to create opportunities to bring these various cultures together to create art, to create civic engagement, right? To create business opportunities. That That is where I think we need to be focused. Um, in rebuilding community through adding resources in, in spaces that will create growth. Um, so Patricia Lee via LinkedIn says, we're doing a lot of talking, but where's the action? That actually leads to the question I was gonna ask you, Assemblyman, what are you doing at this time to not only protect uh, Asian Americans who are being attacked you know, in Flushing, in your district and throughout New York City, but also to bridge the gaps? Yeah, I mean the one one successful story that we had early on the early on the pandemic last year, there was a potential conflict in South Queens um, when well, 100 black men uh, in suits, I think I'm not sure if I gave the name right. Um, they had a conflict with the with the few Korean-owned small businesses in South Queens, and the local member, the representative, reached out to me if I can intervene. And we were able to bring all sides mm -hmm. together, and and the stores wow. acknowledged that they were wrong, um, actually, and started to commit to hire the recommendations of the nonprofit from the local community, a young black man um, who were not working that summer because the city had laid off all the young people from uh, getting summer employment, and plus they added a few thousand dollars for scholarships uh, toward the program, uh, which is a good first step, um, but. My role as a policymaker, uh, yes, those businesses can create some opportunities, but even if you bring them to the door, like when they go home, they don't have food on the table, when they don't have housing, they don't have basic human needs, doesn't matter when the if the opportunity is there for them. Like I, we need to make sure the social conditions around them improve as well. That's the role of policymakers, but the small business owners also have their role as well. So we're making we're making small steps, small progress uh, in bridging that gap, but there's a lot to be done um, you know, around that kind of collaborative effort. And I hope that in the future, we can also focus on like, how do we create you know, community-led worker-owned small businesses? I know the nail salon issue was a big issue two years ago in Brooklyn when a Chinese nail salon owner was caught uh, or the employee, the, the workers were caught hitting the customer with broomsticks over $15, over $15. And that video went viral. Um, and, and, and the community came out and shut down that store. And I was on the ground uh, in Brooklyn and trying to deescalate and figure out how to move forward. And part of the idea of, uh, in terms of solutions was, to, okay, now that there's an opportunity, there's a gap here can we raise money to create some sort of a worker-owned, community-owned nail salon uh, that's completely financed and owned by the workers in the community? So these are the type of creative ideas that can really empower, I believe, and Asian Americans can lend that support to help the black and brown communities and our brothers and sisters who have been left out uh, of that pipeline of entrepreneurship, of ha being small business owners, and being being and, and, and having upper mobility, and that's how we create that's how we create long term solidarity uh, between the communities. Um, Assemblyman, I'm so happy that you brought up that issue that happened in 2018 in the Brooklyn nail salon because we had an in depth discussion here on Be Heard with Kathy Dang, who was former executive director of uh, CAAAV at the time, and we spoke about the, the underlying tensions between these two communities because we are in very close proximity, but it, it, you know, because of white supremacy, we often feel like we're being pitted against each other. So it is time for us to talk about it, to have these conversations on different platforms, to make sure we're not speaking in silos. Like I know it, you know, when I'm with you know, my community, we talk about these things all the time, but how often are we having these conversations 
with our other, you know, other people. And that's why we're doing this here on Be Her Talk. Um, you know, I do want to go to Karen O'Neill's comment. It's a long one, but I think it's a good one. She says via Facebook, I think the crime in the Asian community increased because of COVID-19, the hard times, finan financially hard times that came from COVID. It is it is why it increased. I don't believe Blacks are attacking Asians because they think that they brought COVID-19 here. A lot of Blacks feel like Asians, uh, like the Asian, Asians are easy um, prey. Okay, I'm going to have to leave it there because it's a little difficult to understand. But I do think it touches on the larger issues that we're talking about here. Uh, before we switch gears, I do want to just throw it over to Michelle and Evan before we sort of, you know, move this conversation along for uh, more thoughts on it. Final thoughts. Um, I think my final thought is really going back to building community opportunity to make money and a community owned business together is very important. And I love the idea of restorative justice. We have to bring our communities together and have these conversations and talk about what is coming up for us. In addition to that, um, I, I think that people's tensions have gotten so high. They're out of, they've been out of work and they do see um, Asian Americans as an easier target. Additionally, and I will say this, additionally, I feel like there is some underlying struggle uh, from black communities. Cause I've got, when I posted this, I got a lot of comments about it, that they feel like Asians have had it much easier here in the United States, especially when it comes to the type of police brutality that uh, African-Americans are experiencing. So they feel like, and these are just comments that I received, that there is added layers, like there's layers and levels to this, to where they'll look at the other community and say, oh, they have it so much easier when they just don't know because there is a lack of understanding, a lack of education, and we need to just bring us together and just have real conversations so we can understand better. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I gotta say, Michelle, that's a very good point. And I think it's a complicated issue. And, it, and part of it is also Asian American elitism that invis, invisibilizes our own poverty. Yes. Yes. And because we also have people who are harassed uh, all the time by the police. For example, we, we have uh, migrant sex workers yes. in my district. And two years ago, one of them, Yang Song, who I stood up for, was raped by a vice undercover police officer was harassed for months and she eventually died running away from a targeted raid of a balcony. Yep. The, the first group of activists that showed up for us, Black Lives Matter, was there on the ground with our community saying, this is exactly why we don't need more policing uh, in our communities. Uh, but, it, but did our community, our own community show up? No, they looked the yep. other way. They called her a, a prostitute that deserved to die a, a, a spat on on the on on the sidewalk. Somebody actually posted that a real estate landlord of Asian descent. So sometimes we are our own worst enemy, yeah. invisibilizing our own poverty. So when other Black and Brown communities look at our community, oh, they don't have poverty. They don't have any problems. Everyone, every Asian must have went to Harvard and and must live on Fifth Avenue. They're doing so well. That ain't the case. Statistically, one out of four we have we suffer from the worst poverty of all racial groups. Most people yeah. don't, don't, don't know that, uh, but that's the truth. But no, most people can't accept that because we're either uh, it's not real or we're either foreigners. We're just tourists not living here. That's how we're perceived. Um, so I, in my role, when I have a soapbox, I try to tell the truth about our struggles, too, so we can actually build better allies with other communities going through the same 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 problems. Yeah. And then, Evan, you, you talked about this, too, the model um the the myth of the model minority right um can, can you talk about that a little bit that you know white supremacy loves exceptions because creating exceptions uh allows it to trivialize its own damage so creating this idea of a model minority and assigning it frequently to asians and sometimes also to jews it allows it to to minimize the damage it's done and to pit different groups against each other so it is perhaps true, as Assemblyman Kim said, that the proximity to whiteness for some Asian people has created this elitism. But the Asians didn't create that elitism and they didn't create that proximity. White supremacy and white structures did to create, you know, this idea of a hierarchy between ethnic groups that will allow them to uh, fight each other for different spaces there. But regardless, the creator of that and the one that's at the top, 
uh, is exactly the same. And the other thing I want to say is it's um, it's very important we talk about these tensions. You know, from Latasha Harlins in L.A. to today, it, they absolutely exist. But I don't want there to be any group that feels like it must fight for its humanity. Its humanity is there. It's, every group's humanity is justified. And nothing needs to be solved today for that group's humanity to be respected and protected. Cynthia Patterson uh, left a comment via LinkedIn that I want to get to. She says, so disheartening and true classism and elitism within our Asian community is real. Uh, Thank you for for leaving that comment, Cynthia. Assembly Ben, we do want to just give you some final words before we switch gears, because we know you've been leading the charge against Governor Cuomo, and we definitely want to bring that up. Yeah. No, um, this is such a vital and conversation. We should continue and we should lean in and have as many, many uncomfortable intercommunity dialogues moving forward. So anytime you want to bring me back uh, to continue having these com- uh, conversations about race relations, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll always be down to come back. And, and I'm actually learning a lot, quite a bit uh, from, from you all as well. Oh, yeah. You know, it is definitely an ongoing conversation where we are going to continue to learn. Um, You know, you know, speaking of the Asian, the anti-Asian attacks, uh, Assemblyman, how do you think our governor is doing? Um, How do you think his administration is handling it? We know you've been very critical of Governor Cuomo for a number of other things. Has he stepped up when it comes to protecting the Asian community? Oh, in terms of the Asian community, no, I don't yeah. think I don't think he cares at all about any uh, marginalized communities. He hasn't really? stepped up. I, I mean, I don't. He hasn't allocated. I just look. You can follow the money. He's he is. You know, everyone. He's known as the austerity governor, and you know, for the last twelve years, he is a a Republican conservative type. He doesn't. You know, he's not the the Democrat that that we. Uh, the next generation uh, uh, look, you know, looks up to. Like he is the epitome of the Republican neoliberal type that believes giving away as much subsidies and, and money to the biggest corporations in the world while cutting social programs uh, one piece meal at a time over the years. And um, what we call referred to as austerity budgets. So yes, no communities are constantly pitted against each other fighting for a piece of the tiniest crumb uh, of the budget every single year. Uh, and, and that's why when we faced the pandemic, we didn't have enough. These, he already cut the hospital beds by 30, 40% over the last six, seven years. He cut Medicaid in last year's budget in the middle of the pandemic by 20%. He cut home care services in the in the budget last year, which is something he continuously did. So, so that's why he so he created his own worst problem. Uh, but then, in the middle of the pandemic, he continued to only listen to his top donors, uh, the healthcare lobbyists, who've given him millions of dollars to write policies uh, that ended up, in my opinion, uh, with more unnecessary deaths in our most vulnerable populations, our older adults, disabled uh, populations in nursing homes. Um. I'm glad that you brought up the nursing home scandal, Assemblyman, because you have been one of the loudest critics calling for Governor Cuomo to actually resign over the nursing home scandal. I believe you lost a family member to COVID yourself. Um, Can you talk about why you think it's time for Governor Cuomo to leave office? And also, you know, to juxtapose your argument, he's been hailed, hailed as a national hero, you know, across the country. So it's like, you know, I understand the controversy going on now, but to a lot of others, he's been doing a good job. Yeah, this was a tough fight for me. You know, last year I, I had a re-election um, and the governor was polling at 70, 80, 90 percent. You know, and every campaign consultant was don't criticize the governor. Don't go after him. You're going to lose your race. But I saw the truth uh, since last year. I saw what was going on on the ground. I saw the cover ups happening already. Uh, in these facilities to protect uh, the governor, and I and I said it's not. I, I don't care about ruining the reelection. This, if I, I'm here to protect my constituents. People are dying left and right, and I'm seeing the truth. And I'm willing to lose everything 
to expose that truth. And I made that choice a long time ago. And when he made he made the decision to call me a few weeks ago to try to implicate me, to try to force me to issue a statement to lie and cover up for his administration. I mean, there was no way, like my uncle died, 15,000 other people died because of his bad decisions. I represent so many nursing homes. I was not going to lie for the governor. I, I, I already made that choice to go up against him many months ago. And for him to try to threaten my career, um, you know, the only tough part during that episode when he made that 10 minute threatening call was my wife was here, you know, my kids were here. So when someone of that stature makes that threat, like I'm going to ruin your career and your livelihood, it's not longer. It's not. It's not just me, right now. Right. It's my family. So my wife is shaking and and, and tears and as begging me to stop everything I'm doing. You know, just just do whatever he tells you to do, right? It was it was a very um, you know internally a very difficult time, but ultimately she understood. Um, you know, there's only one truth, and uh, you have to do the right thing. And 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 after a few hours, and the next day, like she stood by me, um, and she actually gave me even more strength uh, to push back and and speak the truth. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I just want to say thank you very much um, for for doing what is right. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. says. The time is always right to do what is right. right. And I think from the community, we thank you for standing up and we thank you for speaking out and not being afraid. So I just want to say thank you for all the people you'll yeah. never meet or haven't met mm -hmm. yet. And thank you, Michelle. Yeah. And uh, um, we had another comment of someone else thanking you as well from um, John Gordon, uh, who also says thank you to that. Evan, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I wanted to thank you. Uh, I appreciate your work so much. And what you did is is not just on behalf of all New Yorkers of different ethnicities. It's really on behalf of anyone. Anyone who's ever had a boss think that their power allows them to get away with their abuse, that a culture of power allows them, you know, it's, it's almost like, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this just comes with the territory. You know, you get this powerful, this is how people act. And that's also the same ideology that allowed all these men to harass all these women. I mean, and men too, but especially all these women to get away with harassment. So what I'm thankful for that you did isn't just for this specific incident about the misrepresentation of nursing home numbers, but it can change the political culture we have in New York. And since this is a national story nationwide, because it's starting a movement to say, no, I don't care how powerful you are as a boss. This does not come with the territory. You can legislate effectively and not threaten people's livelihoods and their families. That has no place in politics. Um, so yeah, John Gordon says, Assemblyman Kim, thank you for representing what a true American politician should That's be. Right. Stay strong. Someone even asked, Assemblyman, are you running for governor or do you have ambitions for higher office following this? Uh, I, I am exactly where I need to be. Uh, I chair the committee on aging, uh, which oversees older adults and their safety. So that's the irony, like I'm doing my job. Yeah. I am supposed to investigate, I'm supposed to reveal right. the truth and, and I shouldn't be threatened for doing my job, right? And, and there's a lot to be undone. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that this governor did, he gave a legal and criminal uh, immunity for the corporations behind the nursing homes at the peak of the pandemic. So imagine, imagine your for-profit nursing home. You're already with a bad record. You're already uh, cutting corners every time to like make money, and now you're giving a get-out-of-jail-free card. Are you going to invest more to save people's lives? No. That is exactly what we did, and I plan on going back, undoing everything, and giving justice for all those people who lost their loved ones um, unfairly. Absolutely. And, you know, I think another thing people are saying is, you know, we see you speaking out. Um, a number of other Democratic lawmakers in New York have spoke on the condition of um, they, they, they've decided not to reveal their names. But they said that this, the governor does have a long record of abusive practices, but they're not coming forward. Um, why do you think that is? And, and why do you think it is? It seems like Governor Cuomo has been able to, like, tiptoe around 
what's really going on and to build his national profile. The, uh, the corrupt conduct and the behavior, most the public, it's so hard to see. Uh, so, someone like him, a second generation political uh, powerhouse, have so much access and power. So all these elected officials that have cut the bad deals with them, they have former staff members working at a state government somewhere, right? They have, uh, they got capital money in the past because they shook hands with them. Como has all the receipts uh, on, on so many elected officials. So even though they've been abused, the moment they speak up, now they're former people that used to work for him, their jobs are, are at stake. So there's so many different ways that, inter that, that he is able to control um, and, and, and really direct people uh, in a demagogic way that it's it's almost virtually impossible until unless we collectively come together with the public, with the media to shed as much light and, uh, and, and grill his every single move until he no longer can be corrupt. It's about accountability. You know, Michelle, we do have to start to wrap this conversation up. We had a robust conversation with Assemblyman Kim from everything from the anti-Asian attacks to now holding Governor Cuomo, one of the most powerful Democrats in the nation, accountable. Uh, what are your final thoughts about this discussion today? How can we bring it home? Um, I think really what we really have to do is we have to build coalitions and we have to come together. And that being said, I want to tell everybody out there that there is a brand new app about to launch called Community X. And what Community X is, it's a place for change makers by change makers to be able to build coalitions. So we invite you to go to www.communityx.tech and join us and tell us what social justice cause areas do you want to build coalitions around? So I would say that I want to thank Ron for being here and doing what is right. I think that you are an upstanding politician and you're, and I appreciate you taking care of our elders because guess what? We're all going to be elders sooner than later. So I need to make sure you and people like you stay in those positions right. to keep people honest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Evan, um, final thoughts on the conversation we had today? Well, the, the first part being the anti-Asian hate and violence, you know, it has no place. Um, no one is a monolith. No community is a monolith. And there Evan's are... Evan's audio? Hello? No, no one is a monolith and no community is a monolith. And everyone deserves to be treated as such. There are Asians who are currently as... Um, in support of Black Lives Matter, and there are Asians who marched alongside Fred Hampton. And yes, there are, there's anti-blackness in the community that needs to be addressed. But regardless of what is discussed today or tomorrow, their humanity is always there and never needs to be proven. And I want to thank Assemblyman Kim for being the voice of truth to power that we have waited for for a very long time in this administration. And frankly, it, it, it shouldn't have taken this long because I think there were enablers for a very long time and he had to put his own livelihood on the line to actually do that. And we should, we should actually break these patterns and build not just coalitions of groups together to fight white supremacy, but coalitions within the legislature to fight abuses of power at its first glance. Thank you for that, Evan. Um, Assemblymember, we do want to give you the last word uh, in 30 seconds or less just to bring it home. Uh, thank you all so much. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, Cuomo is not going to go away. He will try to hold on to his position as long as possible. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Coalition building inside, outside, uh, everywhere is critically important. Now it's up to you, people listening in, to get mobilized, organized, and, and hold not only Como, but all future people like Como, Trump, and other authoritarian types accountable. That's how, and that's how we create a true democracy, a co-equal government for the people. And I, I know that we'll get there very soon. Thank you all. Thank you Thank so you. much. And I'll just right. end by saying, you know, just to echo what the panel just said, it's right. We have to hold people accountable. But one of the first steps in accountability is having the conversation. And I just, again, I want to just go back because I saw all of the comments we got. There was a lot of backlash 
from the community, my community in particular, about having this conversation because of the underlying racial tensions that we have seen between the Black community and the Asian community. But if you want change, if you want progress, this is the way to do it. We need to have these conversations. We need to be educated. We need to educate others. And we need to self-educate and take accountability. And again, props to Assemblyman Ron Kim for you know doing just that. He came on this show uh, and had the conversation and is also doing the work. And just as he is holding Governor Cuomo accountable, we're gonna hold him accountable because we elected him. And that's what I encourage everyone to do, continue to educate, inform and empower. And to do that, we have to hold our leaders accountable. So I do want again, just wanna end on that note. Thank everyone for tuning into another episode of Be Heard Talk. And we'll see you again next Sunday. Take care everybody.